You are tuned into a Heads and Tails NFL Injury Report, where each week we discuss the latest injuries and sports health buzz surrounding the league in an attempt to make football safer to play at all levels. Dr. Wazim Bush provides expert medical insight, while my buddy Josh Boyd keeps us up to date on all current events and provides play-by-play analysis. And my name is Kevin Som, and I provide the perspective of a former player with a passion for changing a football culture that nearly took my life. If this is your first time to the show, I recommend checking out some of the athlete and expert interviews that we have previously published on this podcast. For detailed show notes and videos from this episode, go to headsandtails.org backslash injury reports. Welcome back to an all new episode of the Heads and Tails Injury Report. Uh, we are now in week 10 and 11 of the NFL season. Uh, we missed last week, but uh, we're also down our, one of our regular cast members, Josh Boyd, uh, but in his place we have uh, James Cratch, who is the beat writer for NJ.com, and he covers Rutgers football. What and, up, James? Yeah, what's up, dude? Thank you for having me, guys. Of it's course. An honor to be here. Our pleasure. A true honor, yeah, nice, dude. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going to go through the Week 10 injuries, uh, catch up from last week, then we'll go through the Week 11 injuries, uh, and then we'll touch on some other topics uh, like – Zach Miller's Player Tribune documentary, um, the best regular season game ever, possibly yesterday, uh, Landon Collins and the concussion protocol, and of course the NFL way to play players of the week for week nine and ten. So to start it off, uh, in week ten, the biggest injury of the week was by far uh, Los Angeles Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup with an ACL injury. Um, Waz, you want to take us through this yeah. one? So uh, this was a non-contact injury. He kind of comes up the field, and then he takes one of those awkward steps, and there goes that knee. It buckles in, and that was it. And, you know, same old. Unfortunately, it sucks the way that, that this all happened, but, you know, we've talked so much about ACL injuries all season long, you know. Um, it was the same knee that, that Cooper uh, injured earlier. And what's funny is that, when he injured his MCL the last time, he was carted off the field. Everybody thought that was it. He blew out his ACL, game over. Now, look at the way that he kind of crumpled onto the field, um, non-contact, and you know it, it just didn't look as terrible as the other one. And um, you know, unfortunately, he's gone for the season. James, you got any uh, comments on that one? Uh, no, I mean it's just it's it's brutal that you know it, it. So you look at something, it doesn't really even look at anything. Obviously, it's just the way it goes. I mean, obviously, a, a key part of a team that, as you mentioned at the start of the show, maybe the best regular season game ever. But and and Cup's a guy who you really need a guy like him, I think, to progress through the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl. So I think that's an injury that could be really critical to the Rams down the road. Yeah, and I think a point that I just want to make uh, with his injury, like we said, he hurt that same knee a a couple weeks before, and it just reminds me of the RG3 injury, you know, a few years back where he injured the knee, he had the brace, I don't even know if he had a brace on, I think he did, and then he ended up tearing that ECL. So it just doesn't pay to, like, push these guys through, you know, injuries, uh, because you never know what it could lead to. No, I agree. I mean, maybe it changes his – his uh, um, ability to to plant and the way that he makes cuts and so on. Can we say that one led to the other? No, definitely not. I mean, they're two separate ligaments. They they do two separate things, you know. 
could they have contributed? Possibly. Possibly. That's a but, good point. Yeah. Something that I wasn't aware of. Uh, next injury up, we got Miami Dolphins uh, wide receiver slash kick return, uh, Jakeem Grant, uh, with an Achilles injury that apparently didn't tear, but he I think he ended up having surgery on this. No, no surgery yet. Oh. No surgery yet. Um, so they they definitely uh, had an MRI. He was uh, – he he did escape without a tear. Um, he injured this Achilles, which means that it's still going to be a problematic for him. Is he going to be back this season? That remains to be seen. Achilles injuries can be very, very devastating and difficult to kind of uh, recover from. Tears typically take somewhere around like nine months to recover from. But, you know, in his case, maybe he's out maybe four weeks Six weeks, we, we'll just have to see. It looked like a pretty severe injury. And he was just, like, starting to go out for a pass and just kind of, yeah. like, came up. Uh, like he just kind of started hopping, you know? It almost seems like he took a step, and then he just came up hopping and hobbling, and he just kept hopping on that one leg. Um, and presumably, he just didn't want to continue doing anything else for fear of hurting it even more. But I think he got carted off the field on this one, too, right? So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's a weird injury, and just judging from the video, when you look at it, it's almost like you see the point that, hey, he just um, felt it go, and he thought he was, um, he had torn it at that time, too, so. Um, yeah, and I also see in the notes that he had been dealing with an Achilles injury for weeks mm-hmm. uh, going into that, so, like, again, Richard Sherman going into that game absolutely uh, last year, I think it was last year, yeah, uh, and he ended up tearing his Achilles. Yep. Uh, James, any comments before we move on to the next injury? Yeah, I would be very surprised if this guy plays again this season just because knowing how that position, you know, especially in, in that Dolphins offense, you know, he's a guy they want to use in the passing game and just the plant foot and everything. I, I've always found, you know, in my time covering the NFL and then obviously covering college that when you start talking about injuries of the ankle, the, the foot, the Achilles, they always take a lot longer for players to get back on the field than I think the initial thought is. It's, you know, they set a time frame and it, it's always longer than whatever that initial optimistic time frame is. Absolutely. They're not very good uh, salesmen then. You got to <laughs> under-promise, over-deliver. They're doing the opposite there. <laughs> uh, they do oh, not do that either. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Kevin. Next injury up, we got Oakland Raiders uh, wide receivers, uh, Jordy Nelson uh, with a knee injury and also Martavius Bryant. Uh, neither of them we have videos for, uh, but there's some. it was interesting that there was rumors that Jordy was going to retire. Um, I think that was debunked, but uh, either way, either, either of you guys have some comments on, on those injuries? Yeah, I think Martavius Bryant ended up going out of bounds and landed on his knee, um, a mechanism that maybe like – you know, uh, just kind of jolts the knee a little bit, and then he tears his uh, PCL, um, that posterior cruciate ligament. Again, that posterior seatbelt. Um, this one's not as serious as as tearing an ACL, um, but however, it you know, depending on the injury, um, it may need surgery. In this case, they're saying he's going to avoid surgery, and he's likely to recover. Probably, I don't know. If I had to guess. Maybe about a good four-week, five-week time frame. Um, so it is possible we'll see him before the end of the season. Um, and Jordy, you know, 
I, I think he just got hit in the leg. I think it was a quad contusion is what it ended up being. So quad contusions, they hurt like hell. They hurt like hell. Um, you kind of have to keep them flexed. Otherwise, the, the blood can build up in there. And um, you can actually gain bone formation in the middle of your leg. It's, uh, yeah. it's a condition called uh, myositis ossificans. And um, it's a dreaded complication if you don't treat these types of injuries um, pretty promptly and keep them in uh, flexion. So how do you get rid of that bone that grows? Well, you, you kind of, it grows for a little while and then you kind of have to go in surgically and uh, take it out. Tough surgery, tough recovery, a lot of pain. Interesting. Crazy, huh? Uh, any comments on the retiring rumors? Do we think that, w- would you want to retire if you were getting banged up and towards the end of your career playing for the Oakland Raiders? Hell yeah, considering what the <laughs> hell is going on with the Raiders right now. And, and considering that everybody that I know is leaving and being shipped away, Lord knows what the hell is going on with that team. <laughs> right. Chucky really no, is I taking mean, it to, to when, it. When Gruden said a few weeks ago that, you know, that, Players call him all the time and say they want to be with the Raiders. I believe him. I just think they're all a bunch of players that are like 32, 33 years old <laughs> that just think they can steal one more paycheck from the guy. Yep. Because he loves veteran players. Um, no, quad injury is another one. Like I remember my first year covering the Giants. Uh, Victor Cruz. You know, he had this run of the mill like, oh, it's just a quad yep. injury, and it ended up costing him the entire season. Yep. Because it was basically this rare tear of his quad, and it was just something that was treated as like, oh, like you know, almost like you know, oh, like a guy rolled an ankle, like who cares? He didn't practice today, and then like you, you never saw him again that season. So quads can be very weird. Quadzillas, you need them. You need them <laughs> to be Quan. Uh, yeah, Say he's got quad. some quads. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Calf. I meant. I apologize. No, either way. Yeah, you know. I was thinking about the calf, but you know. Six one half dozen the other, but yeah. the cruise was the captain. Still on the leg. We're in the right end. We're we're right in the right area. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, James. Appreciate it, dude. Um. All right. Moving on to the next injury, we got Detroit Lions uh, wide receiver uh, Marvin Jones with a, a bone bruise. You know, I didn't I didn't really see um much on this play. I mean, it, it maybe he he looked like maybe he collided knees on that play. I'm not sure. He went down. Um, he kind of uh, went out for a pass. Um, uh, the uh, the DB kind of read his route and undercut him, and he just kind of went to the ground. Um, it didn't really see a whole heck of a lot that would have indicated, hey, maybe he tore an ACL like those non-contact injuries or anything like that, but he went down, and it was reported that he had a bone bruise. It, it's reported that he's getting a second opinion for it, which is kind of strange. I mean, bone bruises are bone bruises. They they hurt. They take a while to, to kind of heal. And um, you just need some time for it, you know? So I'm, I'm not so sure what's going on with all of this. Um, it did look like he knocked knees. That was like the only r- rational yeah, like, it, explanation for how that could have happened. But It was just a, a weird thing. But you would have thought that, that the uh, DB would have had – some sort of uh, injury on that. It was slowed up on on uh, on the route as well. Yeah, because he, he intercepted the pass, right? I think so. He yeah, jumped the route. Uh, James, anything before we move on? No, I'm good. Uh, I think you guys summed the best. It's a bone bruise. It hurts like hell. <laughs> it takes a while to get through. You know, technical <laughs> terms, James. Technical terms. Yeah. There we go. 
Uh, all right, next injury up. Uh, for we're still we're still in week ten here. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles defensive back uh, Ronald Darby uh, with an ACL injury. Again, so we we talked about Cooper Cup and Cooper Cup in his injury went down um, non-contact. He was able to walk off the field, and then you see. Uh, Ronald Darby just chasing Amari Cooper. <laughs> he was <laughs> trying to. <laughs> it was kind of one of those whoop 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 moments. And uh, you know, on the second um, cut that Amari Cooper made, um, second move that he made of the double move, it seemed like uh, Darby took a, a little awkward step there, and I think that's where he kind of had the little buckle. But you could see him kind of start limping immediately after that. Um, and he was he just kind of pulled up and he was able to walk off on that field to, up from the field too um again that one kind of took a lot of people off guard and uh you know they he definitely non contact acl tear and um you know he'll be gone for the season as well sucks cratch anything no i mean it's a devastating blow to the uh the Eagles, who are just a complete dumpster fire and very thin at cornerback in the secondary right now. Um, Darby's a weird guy. I mean, he, he, they tr- made that big trade for him. He kind of was in and out of the lineup last year. They won a Super Bowl. Now this. It's just sort of weird. Like a guy who was supposed to be such an integral integral piece when they, when they acquired him has really never been healthy enough to be on the field and make a terribly large impact for them. You think that's going to help the uh, Giants this weekend, Crash? I do not think so. I think that, <laughs> I think that the, you know, I know the Giants want to give Eli an eight-year extension now, now that he's you know, beating the Bucks and the Niners. But uh, I think that you got to think that this is a put-up-or-shut-up moment for the Eagles here. Yeah, absolutely. Good points, gentlemen. Uh, next injury up is New Orleans Saints, Des Bryant, uh, who, who was their wide receiver with an Achilles injury. I don't know if you can really consider him uh, in a, a New Orleans Saint anymore. Yeah. But it's pretty crazy. He got signed, and then he tore his Achilles, like, almost immediately after. And then everybody rallied around him, you know what I mean? Yeah. They were just putting up the X. Um, but you know what? Um, these I, I I'm not sure why there was so much hoopla about – whether or not he tore it, diagnosing an Achilles injury is very easy. I mean, you can clearly see what if there is a defect. You can clearly see whether or not the the tendon, um, the the ligament is intact, and you can see whether or not it does what it's supposed to do by pressing on it. Um, but you know, it this sucks. I think everybody's going to ask the question of, hey. Is it because he held out and wasn't in training camp and uh, and all of this stuff that contributed to it? I, you know, could some of that possibly play a role? Sure. But this is just plain shit luck. That's all this is. You know what I mean? I think, you know, Des probably kept himself in pretty damn good shape. He probably was training throughout. You know, he was still putting himself through NFL-like workouts. So... I I don't necessarily think this has anything to do with him holding out. I just think it was just really terrible luck. Sometimes the world just tells you when it's time to hang him up. I guess. That's one of those moments, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I would have to agree on that. It's it's ironic, too, because by Dez going down, Brandon Marshall ends up being signed in New Orleans. I mean, and and Brandon Marshall's a guy who truly, like, 
is right should hang it up at this yes. point. But hey, the Saints could get both Dez and Brandon Marshall Super Bowl rings with very little <laughs> play time. That's very them. true. I forgot that Dez is still qualifies for a potential ring after this and a Super Bowl bonus. Because they're looking. I don't good. know about that. I would Damn, that's a vote. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last injury up in uh, week ten. We got uh, Pittsburgh Steelers running back James Conner uh, with a concussion. He ended up playing in week eleven. Um, but I think Chris Nowinski had something to say about it, more so with the use of the tent and that blue tent on the sideline. And is it really just like a cover for um, you know what's really going on? Because uh, it seemed like he, I think he went back into the game, or I'm... I think he was just diagnosed later on. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of of people attacking the docs on these. You know, yeah, fine, I'm a doc, and and I've I've done some of this stuff, but yeah, um, you know. We're not out there for to to, to kind of please anybody. We're not out there to to uh, put a player in harm's way. You know, yes, there are pressures and things of that nature, but our number one priority is the player's safety, right? And concussions. This is the whole point of this the this whole thing. Concussions are not that easy to to diagnose. Sometimes guys can just absolutely pass these tests. They're great athletes. They're smart. They know what to do. They know how to say things. And to be quite frank, symptoms sometimes just don't show until later on. You know, you you can have and be completely lucid um, beforehand. It does bring up the the importance of of other other things and, and other um, uh, uh, signs and, and, and symptoms that we look for on the field. You know, is the guy, you know, one, obviously, was he knocked out? Two, you know, did he have any type of posturing signs or anything like that? Did he do like a bear hug type of thing? Um, three, is he, when he gets up, is he super wobbly? And is he wobbly because, hey, he just tripped on his on his teammate? Or he's just wobbly, like he falls to the ground or just runs in the wrong direction, doesn't know where he's going. And that's why it's so important when other players are helping up their teammates. When they're doing that, they kind of disguise symptoms for us. Because then that player has a few minutes or a few moments or whatever to kind of get, come to grips with what's happening and kind of regain his balance. So those subtle signs that would necessarily... would, would kind of lead us to believe, hey, um, we need to really evaluate this guy a little bit further, are, are hidden. And this blue tent is a way for us to kind of, you know, get them away from everybody else and see them in their element with the test that we have without any distractions. And, you know, it, it sometimes these guys just pass it and we find them and di- diagnose them afterwards. Right. There's so many factors that go into it. And even when you brought the point of like your teammate helping you up, you know, out when you get off the ground, like that's such an integral part of the culture of sports and football and Absolutely. sportsmanship. And it's like you, you, you might be almost doing your teammate a disservice by Completely. helping him up. If he does in fact have a concussion, it's Completely. interesting because you're like helping to mask those symptoms. I never really thought about that. James, what do you think about it, man? I mean, what are your thoughts from from the writer's standpoint, you know? I've always felt that, for the most part, the the tent on the sideline is sort of like a 
I, I believe it pretty much started in college as a way of like masking the injured players. So like you couldn't see, you know, the medical staff working with a player and like, you know, what they were like, you know, what if it hurt their leg, their work on the leg or the work yeah. on the arm and the shoulder. But most stadiums, especially in the NFL, the locker room is so close to the sideline now that I just almost wonder, like, why even bother if you think a player has a concussion? Why even bother the, the stop in the tent on the way inside? Because I know they do the more formal evaluation in all likelihood inside the locker room. Why does it go straight there? Yeah. You know, because it's not like it's a timing thing. Like a guy is running half a mile in the bowels of a stadium to get like it may have been in the past. I mean, it's usually right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's remember, I mean, even if you're taking them and uh, walking them in at MetLife and so on. You know, you still got to go up the ramps and into the locker rooms and so on too, right? It, it it still takes you a good five to however many minutes to get in there. And depending on the point of the game and who the player is, I think that's the pressure, right? Um, that's mm-hmm. that's where where everything um, becomes a pressure cooker for for the docs to kind of get this done immediately and get get them back into the game. I think there's pressures from all standpoints for that. Right, but when we talked about how concussion symptoms kind of take some time to show themselves mm-hmm. by bypassing the the tent on the sideline and forcing them to go inside into the, the tunnel and into the locker room or the treatment room, that's extra time that sure. you're giving that athlete to present the symptoms that normally might have been overlooked have you had you just been in the tent. Sure, but sometimes that is not even enough time. No, correct. You yeah. know, so yep. yeah, it, it's it's just a really difficult situation, I think, um, unfortunately. Uh, all right, good thing we have a conversation about it though. That's why we're that's why we're doing this. <laughs> uh so another hit in that game there uh there's a hit on Big Ben that was that turned into an ejection. Uh he was kind of giving himself up sliding and a player came in and hit him pretty much right in the head. Uh, and then they made some comparisons to the hit on Baker Mayfield a, a couple weeks earlier, I believe. And there was no ejection for that. And they were almost identical. And if not, you could argue that the hit on Baker Mayfield was even worse. Um, so just an example of an ejection uh, from week 10. You know, maybe, maybe what they're doing is showing that they're learning, you know, they missed it on Baker. They should have called it on Baker. They didn't miss it on Ben. So at least we could take something away from it, right? Yeah. It's a step in the positive direction for this. Um, and player safety, you know, Ben's clearly giving himself up on there. I mean, just a cheap shot. And speaking of cheap shots, uh, there's a a penalty on Julian Edelman in Week 10 also. Uh, he was returning a punt, and I think he was letting the, the punt like go into the end zone. And he basically just speared this guy in the head or the I guess anti no the gunner uh <laughs> who was going down to get him and uh it was like blatant it was terrible it was like helmet roll to the T and yeah, like how did he not get ejected for that you know I I completely agree with you man I mean you know there was intent he looks at him and then he just launches his head into him. I mean, I I don't know where the consistency is with with this rule. Yeah. Right. I wish Boyd was here so that we could get his take on it and and see what he says. From from your standpoint, James, what what do you think about that video? I think this is a rule that is going to eventually, if I had to guess, be abolished. 
the the idea that the punt the return man can sort of hit the the gunner or, or the defender on the coverage team in order to keep them away from the football before the ball bounces into the end zone. That's where you see it oftentimes. I just think that you're right. Like it's a, it's. I don't know if it was intended to be, but it's it's helmet to helmet that it should have been a personal foul. I mean, you're you're basically a guy who has no idea it's coming. He's already contorting his body because he's trying to avoid Edelman himself because he does not want to be called for you know catch catch interference. Uh, I just think it's it's probably a relic that one. How many you know you would hope that every player in the NFL is aware that could happen. But we don't see it terribly often. It's you know something that you know it's sort of a patriot like move that they would know that rule and take <laughs> advantage of that rule. But I, I just think it's probably something that needs to go at this point, given the the emphasis on player safety and the the sort of close quarters and how the bodies are moving very fast and they're kind of twisting in different directions down there. Uh, I forget. I don't remember exactly, but I think there was a rule change going into this season that had to do with this particular position on the field in that the gunners, you know, are somewhat defenseless receivers as well. Like when they're looking up at the ball, Mm -hmm. um, not that this guy was necessarily looking up at the ball, but there was a couple of instances last season. I remember where similar plays happened and the gunners just got absolutely crushed because they were like looking up at the ball and some guy just tees off on them. Um, but yeah, it was, that was a Bush league move by, uh, Edelman for sure. And to me should be eject is, is it was an ejectable, uh, offense. Totally agree. Uh, all right. That wraps up week 10, um, going into week 11, uh, the NFL changed the game in, uh, Mexico city due to poor field conditions. So they ended up playing it in, uh, California. Um, but I think we already talked about RG3 on the podcast, and it reminds me again of that night that RG3 got hurt. The field was ridiculously yeah. poor conditions. Yeah. Um, there was, like, clumps of grass all over the place and mud, and people were sliding all over the place. So, you know, at least it, it was – I'm just pointing out that the NFL probably was looking out for in the best interest of uh Of the its players. athletes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that field was worse than R. Kelly's doo-doo butter. I mean, that that thing was just disgusting, you know? And and they showed it. I mean, how could you how could you possibly think that you could have a professional football contest with a field like that? What I don't even understand what they were thinking. I'm glad that they were able to, you know, swallow their prides and cancel a game. You know what I mean? Even though it cost them money, I'm glad that it was that they were able to do that. You know, Boomer Esiason was talking uh, on the uh, show about this uh, a while back, uh, a while back, about a week ago or so, about um, players back in the 80s and how um, he was kind of comparing what conditions they're playing with here and back in the 80s. And they were saying something about the Metrodome and the rumor that the Metrodome was basically carpet on concrete and they would just play on anything because they had no choice. And basically calling the players soft for for um, for complaining about this field, but to be honest, there were such big divots. There clearly could have uh, ended a few careers on on this game, and you've got star athletes for for um, the NFL right now. Yeah, it's just not worth it. I think the NFL was just protecting their own their own stock right there. Oh, well, if the players benefit from that, so be it. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, we'll move on to the week 11 injuries and definitely the highlight, or I guess you can call it a highlight, or the headliner of those injuries is Washington Redskins quarterback Alex Smith uh, with a broken leg. Um, Gruesome. Yeah, you could take us through that one. Gruesome injury. So if you watch the video, he's uh, getting tackled, and um, he gets tackled to the ground, and his uh, his leg comes um, up, and J.J. Watt kind of falls on his leg on top of the knee while the leg is at an angle, and it just compresses and pops, and he Super breaks. weird mechanism. Very weird mechanism. He breaks both his tibia and his fibula. Um Gruesome, gruesome injury. Same as um, as Joe Theismann. Very weird on the anniversary. 33 years ago it happened. Same thing. And the other eerie uh, things about this, the score of that game ended the same as this game. And the injury occurred at the same part of the field uh, back in those days. Un- un- unbelievable. As far as the, the injury is concerned, um... It is a career-threatening injury when when you see these types of things. But, you know, what most people are saying with this is that, um, you know, they anticipate that that Alex Smith is going to uh, return from this. It takes about a good nine months. Um, He's definitely getting surgery, and, um, you know, we'll we'll see how he recovers. I mean, he is the $94 million man, right? He signed some crazy extension, four years, $94 million, 71 guaranteed. So crazy um, investment, um, and all of Washington must have stopped when they saw that. Yeah. Uh, James, any thoughts on that one? No, just a, a, a really devastating injury for a guy who I just think has had a fascinating career. I mean, yeah. if you look at Alex Smith's career numbers, I remember doing this one time before the, when he was with the Chiefs, where they played the Giants. They're not... Hall of Fame worthy by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but Consistent. you just kind of wonder about if there was an alternate universe where, you know, he when he was with the 49ers, if he wins that AFC, NFC title game against the Giants mm-hmm. and then goes on to win the Super Bowl, we're probably sitting around not debating whether or not Eli Manning belongs in the Hall of Fame. We're probably debating whether Alex Smith potentially belongs in the Hall of Fame. They probably would both not, but they would each have one championship and his numbers are surprisingly, you know, competitive compared to Eli's, and maybe not in terms of like the, the overall numbers. He, Eli's, I think, got more passing, way more passing yards. But in terms of their playoff success, because Alex Smith has had a lot of success in the playoffs, he just yes. never won the Super Bowl. And the fact that they were drafted number one overall a year apart, but Alex Smith, if he work gets through this, presumably is going to play a lot longer, has a lot more time left than Eli does. And Smith is a a better athlete overall. Um, yeah, you know it. You didn't when when we watched the injury, and if you look at it, it he doesn't. He's very really stoic when when you see it. You know, there's there's not a you know obviously he's got his hands and his his head in his hands and so on. I mean, he knows that it's super serious, but he's pretty pretty stoic yeah, i don't think anyone can like project how they would react in a situation like that no. like until you're in it <laughs> oh my god but to james's point i do feel like um alex smith has been like pretty damn consistent with his numbers and what he does his passing and everything what his numbers with the chiefs were were, were great 
yeah, so all the best to Alex Smith and his recovery. And it seems like we should be able to see him probably next season. He'll be all right. Uh, but next injury up for Week 11 is Tennessee Titans quarterback uh, Marcus Mariota with a elbow injury. So I didn't see the video on this one, but Either, I don't think there one was yeah. one. But I think what ended up happening was he was in a pile, and everybody's uh, um, a little bit riled up because they thought maybe he re-injured the elbow again and uh, injured that ulnar nerve. But what it seems like is that he actually. Um, got his neck just bent back uh, quite a bit and ended up stretching it out. And um, I think Rabel was saying that it's uh, uh, reported a, as a stinger. And so a lot of people hear the term stingers and burners, and they really want to know what the heck that is. And basically that's when um, the nerves kind of get compressed or stretched out a bit in, in some sort of injury, and you get a temporary um, uh, pain that goes down, that shoots down the the arm or something like that um usually it's a an electric uh shock uh the nerves that kind of supply the arm uh originate out in the neck from a bunch of nerve bundles that are called the uh the brachial plexus and so um the ulnar nerve comes off of that brachial plexus and goes down that arm so that's why he has um the signs and symptoms of what he had prior um in the previous injury um, in there. So, you know, usually those things, like I said, recover faster. Um, but ones that take a little bit longer to kind of, um, regain function mean that they need a little bit more rest. And so we'll see with, uh, Mariota, whether or not he's, um, yeah, I think he'll be kind of week to week on these. He's a guy who's always seems like he's banged up a little bit. Yeah. Um, anything crash before we move on? No, no, he's a guy who I just think you're right. He's always banged up, and we've never really gotten the with between coaching changes and his health, we've never really gotten a full idea of what he's capable of. Right? Yeah, he had some he has some glimpses of greatness every once in a while. Uh, so yeah. Um, all right, next injury up is Detroit Lions running back uh, on Johnson. Did I say that right? You did. Well so. done. Nice. That's a well first. done. Uh, he's got a knee injury. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what, I think that's a great way to say it. I, you know, I didn't, again, I didn't really see this play either. Um, but, uh, he ended up having an MRI. It was, there was concern for an ACL tear. Um, ACL was negative and they're just calling it a sprained knee. Um, and that could be just injury to the capsule of the knee. And, um, you know, again, this one's just going to, hurt for a bit it's, he's going to be week for week week to week and then again i think as is most case three days of practice and if he can make it through three straight practices he should be a go all right uh next injury up is uh green bay packers tight end jimmy graham who had a, a thumb injury and he actually got injured while he was trying to block downfield looks like he got caught up in a face mask or something yeah um, that's, that's exactly what I think happened here. I think he actually probably ended up getting caught in the face mask. Um, and I think he dislocated the, the finger to be honest, because if you saw the actual game, he was actually like tugging on the finger. Um, kind of like how Josh Gordon, uh, landed in the end zone in that game. And he dislocated his finger a couple of times and he was just popping it back in place. Initially, that's what I thought happened with him when I was watching the game, but it came out that um, he actually broke the thumb. 
he'll be out for a while. These are they, these take a little while to to heal. Um, four to six weeks. Uh, jury's out on whether or not he needs surgery, but surgery would probably get him back a little bit faster um, rather than 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 longer. Um, but James, I I just feel like Jimmy's just hasn't been Jimmy Graham since he left the Saints, huh? Since that uh, patellar injury and I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree with you. I, I think the I mean the patellar's a killer. I yeah. mean it really is a devastating injury and guys are really never the same for the most part when it happens. And, you know, yeah. And I think that, you know, he's in a not terribly creative offense in green Bay. I, I think that Mike McCarthy's going to get fired after the season. It's a long time coming. They need to do something different. So uh, I wouldn't be, I mean, I, I think he's a guy who he, you know, he, he's worth maybe potentially keeping around. I, I don't know his salary cap situation off the top of my head, but you know, maybe a guy who can kind of find a little second life if they if they find an offense to put Aaron Rodgers in, um, which is amazing. Aaron Rodgers has all this success and still has only been in one scheme and, and a scheme that I think that the modern NFL has really kind of passed by. Kev, what, what's it like to to be blocking these guys? Do you, you know, when, when you were back in your playing days and, you know, do you find that you often got your hands kind of caught in face masks and, and things like that or... Well, I was never really like stock blocking guys like yeah. this, like uh, Jimmy Graham was, where yeah. he kind of is like fighting for position and you have to use your hands a ton. Mm-hmm. I was more of like a fullback, so I just was in more positions where I'm like kick out blocks and like just using your body as Blowing like a battering up. ram, yeah. <laughs> um, which wasn't too good for my head, but it saved my hands. So, uh, <laughs> well, as long as the hands are fine, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really deal with deal with that all that much, but. Um, I feel like that's it's a pretty common thing, you know. Yeah. In those guys, that, when you're out on an island like that, you got to use your hands to fight for position. So yeah. it's just an unfortunate uh, event like that. And as a Packers fan, um, the Sucks. Packers have certainly been pretty disappointing to say yeah. the least. Yeah, they're like to have like one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the NFL, and to just be like consistently like a little above average every year. It's like kind of. I thought the Rodgers to Graham connection would have been yeah serious. Had, had some potential, uh, yeah. That was definitely going to be some discount double checks right there, but yeah. damn. Um, all right, so last uh, injury for that we're going to cover for Week 11 is Oakland Raiders wide receiver Brandon LaFell with the third Achilles injury that we've talked about on the podcast today. So, um, this devastating injury, man. You know, um, you know, we've kind of talked about it, and we talked about it with Des and so on, but. Um, a key factor to this is the older you are, the harder it is to recover from these um, injuries and to return to a high level of play. Um, I think Brandon LaFell is in his 30s. Um, so, you know, there is talk that, hey, maybe this could be something that, that leads to him ending his career. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen. And Yet again, another Oakland Raider, right? Martavius, <laughs> Jordy, LaFells. I think everybody's just just trying to make their exit. Struggle city <laughs> over there. Uh, so did any of you guys watch the game last night? Are you kidding? One of the best games so, I've seen. Yeah, the game we're talking about is between the Los Angeles Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs, the two high-powered offenses. I think both teams were, what, 9-1 going nine into and one. this game? 9-1. Uh so exciting stuff, but 
Um, between the two teams, they had a thousand and one yards, eight hundred and twenty-seven through the air, one hundred and seventy-four, only one hundred and seventy-four on the ground, uh, and they combined for one hundred and forty-four plays, seven turnovers, seven punts, fourteen touchdowns, eleven of them offensive, three defensive, um, and to me, I just wanted to point that out. It's like everyone's talking about how exciting of a game that is, and you see how pass dominant this game was. And I think that's where football's going. And I think since the creation of football, that's where it's been evolving too. you know, to spread the field out. And in my opinion, that's the safest form of football, you know, like I think the less, you know, you're pounding it through the, the middle of the field and you're, you know, bumping heads and, you know, you're fighting in dog piles. Like it's not good for the health of the players. So to me, it's a positive to see how, positive of a reaction people gave to this game because it was so pass heavy and so high scoring, you know, defenses yeah. were like almost doing nothing in some cases. Yeah. Uh, or So it seems uh, that it's still entertaining and it's still football and people still love it. Yeah. So what, you do, you, what do you guys think? I think it's going that way because it's a lot more, I think inviting and enjoyable and kind of appealing the kids to play that way. I mean, there's not a lot of like, you know, 14 year old boys necessarily that want to go play smash mouth football. And I'm not saying it's safe to begin with, but you know, kids want to, you know, be spread out and catch the ball and run around. They don't necessarily want to line up in the eye and just crash into each other 50 times of a game. That being said, I, I think everything in football in the NFL is cyclical. Like this is the bear. This is in vogue now. These wide open offenses, this is creative. The the RPO stuff has kind of seeped in from college to the NFL. But at some point, you know, and I think Gruden in a way is trying to do this in Oakland. He's just not succeeding. At some point, someone is going to say, "Okay, we're going as everyone's zigging, we're going to zag. We're going to build our offense around kind of a grind it down, ground and pound defense and run the football." pro style offense and that'll work and that person that team will have success and then you'll see people start to copy them so it wouldn't shock me if five six seven eight years later all of a sudden you know the power eye is back in vogue to me i think that this was kind of like the quintessential game for this year of what the nfl kind of wanted you know with the high scoring offenses and so on but for me it put on display a game where you had, of course, offensive powerhouses, right? But you also had some nice defensive schemes and, and defensive scores, and it was a combination of offense and defense here. It wasn't all about just, hey, we're, we've got the best offense and, and that's it. You've got two young guns, two gunslingers, really. Mahomes is a straight gunslinger, but riddled with um, uh, uh, turnovers in this game. Three interceptions. I think he fumbled twice. Um, and then you've got Goff, who also was gunslinging. He, was, uh, he ran one in. He also fumbled. Um, you know, y- you've got a combination of offense and defense here that made this entire game just so fun to watch and so engaging, you know? There were bombs, there were short plays, there was runs, there was, it just had everything. And then you had Aaron Donald and it, you know, I was talking to Kev about this earlier, a guy who held out for his money and then he shows you exactly what you're getting 
you know? He had a couple of strip sacks. He had a pick six. I mean, the guy was just a monster in this game. You know, he bet on himself, and he put his money where his mouth is. Yeah. Um, I, I like a, a few of the, the points that were made, and Cratchit talked about how, you know, the kids, that how kids <laughs> today don't want to line up in the power eye and no. smash heads, you know, 50 times in a game. It's not sexy. And there's more and more focus on, you know, playing flag football to your 14 yep. and seven on sevens and stuff like that, where it's less and less contact. So it makes sense that this is like more appealing to the younger generation, um, which to me, I, I think it's cool. I think it's a positive thing. It's, it always reminds me of um, back in, I think it was the 90s, when uh, the Atlanta going shifting sports Atlanta Braves had um, Greg Maddox and uh, Tom Glavin. And they made that commercial about how pitchers were not sexy and they were like chicks dig the long ball and they had the competition with the, uh, with, with the home runs. Um, it, it just brings that back again, just to kind of, uh, you know, be analogous to, to what, um, uh, Cratch was saying with the, with the power eye. It's just not that sexy right now. Yeah. Uh, a couple of announcements before we wrap up here, uh, I mentioned this on a, a previous podcast that Zach Miller's Player Tribune arc or documentary is now uh, it was published. I think it was like November fourteenth. I had it marked on my calendar. I watched yes. I watched it right away. Um, Player Tribune does a great job of kind of like taking you into some of the players' like lowest moments. Yeah. And this one definitely doesn't disappoint. So if you want to check it out, it's in the uh, blog post for this week's episode. A real tearjerker. Yeah, dude, I got choked up a couple yeah. times. Uh, Cratch, did you see that one by any chance? I did not, uh, you know, been kind of busy with, with record stuff, but I will definitely check it out. All right. Uh, next little announcement is that Chris Nowinski posted that they started a broadcaster uh, education program, which I think is pretty cool. And what he was saying was he's not trying to, like, brainwash the broadcasters. He's trying to educate them so when they speak on concussions that they're saying it intelligently and accurately to the audience. Um, so I know – Cratch, you kind of like live in this world of, of media um, or sports media. So what are, you, what are your thoughts? you think this is a good thing? Definitely. I mean, I think that a lot of times a concussion can just be sort of grouped in with every other injury. It's like, you know, ankle, concussion, wrist, forearm. Uh, and I think another thing, too, is that, and, and I noticed this, it's not as much of an issue in college football because there's no injury report in college football. And as much as people talk about there eventually being an injury report with the legalization of sports betting, I have my doubts that we'll ever actually get there just because I think that as opposed to the NFL where it's 32 teams and the league can investigate every injury report, if we did it in college football, we're talking about like 250 teams because you're going to need to have all – every FBS program or file an injury report. And, and you're also going to have to have the FCS programs because basically every week we have the, the two side, you know, the two divisions crossing over. So you're going to, and people are going to bet on those sports, you know, those games as well. Uh, and I, I think it's too complicated. It'll be too much, you know, too much red tape, but I definitely think that when I started covering the NFL in 2015, a lot of times, a guy would get a concussion and he would go through the protocol very quickly and he'd be back on the field the next week. Uh, the, the next, the other two seasons I covered the league, you started to see more of like, if a guy got a concussion, he was missing at least one game and sometimes two, three, four. And I, I do think it would help in a sense that 
you don't really get updates uh, about like what the signs of progression through the protocol are. So a lot of times, a guy would get a concussion, he'd be back after a game, or and the same situation where it didn't even look like a serious hit. That guy would be out for two weeks, two months. So I do think there's some value in, in education. There's always value when you're reporting on something and learning more about it from people who obviously know more about it than you do. I I also think that it's a good thing because, to be honest, announcers and reporters are the ones that are conveying a thought process and a certain emotion, right? Think about when Romo was like, oh, God, he's concussed. You know, immediately the audience is like, well, the guy's concussed. Why the hell is he back in the game? Come on. You know what I mean? So I think that the more educated you can make uh, the announcers and the media – the better that we can kind of control some of the the purveying thoughts that are out there. Um, and, and I think that, that it'll be a, a good way for, for the fans to kind of uh, get a better picture and idea of what exactly is happening. And you would think that the NFL would be on board with something like this for that exact yeah. reason, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the fans are getting the correct information and not jumping to conclusions and, you know, when they don't really know the full picture. Yeah. Um, Chris also had a, a comment about uh, a Landon Collins uh, concussion protocol uh, debacle. And what's up with those Giants guys just, like, <laughs> beating on equipment on the sidelines? You got to take your frustrations out on something. I often do the same thing. So, have, uh... so why? Is that, that's a thing? So yeah. loss of your emotions is kind of like a telltale sign of uh... – yeah, it, you know, it, it's one of one of the um, streams of um, of uh, symptoms that uh, can kind of be a subtle sign of a concussion. You know, oftentimes in my past, when I when I did cover some uh, professional um, football, you know, we had a few guys that would break down and outright just cry, just in the middle of just out of nowhere, and you just knew that their brains were being affected in, in certain areas and it was leading to this stream of emotion. Like you the know? Luke Keekley concussion a couple of years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like the quote unquote toughest guy like in the NFL <laughs> and everyone's like giving him crap that he's like crying on national television. It's like, dude, you probably couldn't even control that. No, yeah. no, it, that's, that's the whole point. It's uncontrollable. Yeah. But in this case, it, it's a weird thing too, because it was kind of like, well, maybe he's just pissed off that they just told him that he can't, you know, play. He had like a, a little uh, rage after that, you know, right. just because he, it's the, the emotions, the emotions of the, game, of the yeah. game. Yeah. All right. Wrapping things up here, we're going to go over the NFL way to play players of the week. So for week nine, uh, it was finally like a legitimate hit as opposed to these like normal everyday run-of-the-mill tackles mm -hmm. Um, mr rogers neighborhood yeah so this one was uh cornerback kareem jackson uh, earned the award for leading with his shoulder on a tackle on uh philip Lindsay, and he like lit him up yeah he did um but he didn't leave his feet he was like borderline about to leave his feet but it was a controlled kind of movement he like it was it was a nice hit and it was like the type of hit that when you're watching a football game you're like oh Oh, (laughs) but it's it's cooler to do that when like the other guy isn't hurt yeah and he pops Right he up. does it, and it's a clean hit. Yep. You know, that's like the way it should be. Absolutely. Uh, and then for week 10, 
they went back to their old ways. It's like a run of the mill hit on Tom Brady uh, tackle. Um, and it was uh, Logan Ryan, who's a cornerback for the Tennessee Titans. It was literally like, oh, hey, Tom. Oh, hey, Logan. All right, we're just going to go down. Right yeah, now. we used to play Let's together, start. remember? Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, but Woo. I was listening to NFL radio, and Logan Ryan was talking. To, they were asking him, like, oh, like, take us through the play and everything. And uh, they were asking, like, you know, where did you learn how to tackle, you know, so well? And uh, he was talking about his days at Rutgers where uh, when he was – playing for Greg Schiano that they used to practice tackling every single day. So that's kind of where he got the form. So it got me thinking that with all these, you know, uh, restrictions on practice and contact practice, you know, is, is that a reason for guys not having proper technique if it's not ingrained in their, their, you know, bodies every single day. So, yeah. uh, Cratch, a couple things. What are your thoughts on the NFL way to play award? And also, uh, you cover Rutgers football. So, you know, is this a thing that, that still goes on today? Yeah, I think it's a great idea from the NFL, but I, I think at the same time, too, like when it's just, it's almost like it's tough when you create something like that and you're almost stretching to find something each week. I mean, it almost, I think, would be better if they amplified the, the, the Week 10 hit, which was a you know, great hit that looks like a football player. That's a big play, as opposed to, you know, this Logan Ryan thing where I'm watching it right now and it's just kind of like, you know, Tom Brady stood right up and he hit him in the waist. And, you know, that was that. I, oh, how I is really... Giselle today? Is she okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, to answer your question about Rutgers, you know, Chris Ash is a big proponent of the rugby style of tackling. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of his thing. And, and they work on that style of tackling. And, I think that it gets mixed reviews. Uh, if you watch Rutgers football early in the season, they did not tackle well. <laughs> um, they've tackled better in recent weeks. I think that the rugby, you know, I, I, um, well, I was in Europe over the summer. Uh, I actually attended a, a rugby match, the English national team and uh, barbarians, which is sort of like a kind of like a touring team, you know, a bunch of, professional you know, and international rugby players they're just kind of forming you know a mercenary team just to kind of play a couple of exhibition matches you know friendlies um test matches and you watch that game and i really my big takeaway was this should be a bigger deal in america than it is because it's basically a combination of football and soccer you know and i i think that and you can use your hands and, and it just seems like it's a sport that should fit uh, us in America, but it's really not terribly popular. But the thing that stood out to me was they're hitting very hard. Yeah. But at the same time, they're hitting cleanly, and I, I don't know if the, the risk of concussion is as great. I think that you're probably seeing you know fingers mangled a lot more and broken noses and you know ears and all that, and that's obviously not, not great either. And I think it gets back to the whole idea that kids don't want to line up and crash into each other every play. Uh, but it, it definitely, I think, is a safer you know style. I, I've always said that I think there, there's two things in football that are an issue. One, I think the face mask is an issue, but I also understand that's probably never going away. And two, I just think it's the the culture, the the way that tacklers you're taught to kind of jack the ball carrier up and drive him back. And I think if you watch clips from back in the day, they tackled lower but the ball carrier would also fall forward for an extra yard. 
You know, I, I think that at some point we, we people started to realize that you want to completely stop the forward motion and drive it back rather than tackle and allow them to fall forward. Because every inch matters, right, Jim? Exactly. If it's an inch or a yard. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast today and talking about weeks 10 and 11. And, Cratch, thank you again for filling in for our boy Josh uh, this no week. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, uh, as always. Yeah, Cratch, thanks a lot, man. Thank you for having me.